Welcome to Heart Show. It's like an art show, but with words and from the heart. I'm your host, Megan Headley, a multi-passionate artpreneur and wellpreneur, a healing artist in the healing arts, a wannabe stand-up comedian, a Chinese medicine-informed face reader and life coach, a craniosacral therapist, a network marketer, an art teacher, and a lover of the natural world. If you too don't quite fit into a box or have your feet in more than one world, if you love creativity, holistic wellness, business, relationships, nature, and, well, everything in between, then this podcast is for you. It is my passion to inspire others to embrace who they truly are, to turn their dream life into a reality, and to live straight from the heart. Let's begin. So, seventh or eighth time is a charm, right? (laughs) Welcome to my first ever podcast episode. Now, I've been on other podcasts, I've done interviews on Instagram and Facebook, I've done a few things of the like, but it turns out starting the very first podcast episode is not an easy task. For many years now, I've wanted to have a podcast, and part of what held me back, I would say, for some time was probably just it not being the right time or the right place. The other part is probably technical. Now, I am uh, not always the savviest with technical things, and I was held up a little bit by some of my concerns around getting the right equipment or whatever I thought it might take to have a podcast. Now, luckily, for those of you listening who also are not super technical, I found a very simple way around that, and uh, if you have questions, you're welcome to ask me. (laughs) But another reason I probably waited for so long was honestly not being able to find the right podcast name. And the last thing is once I did find the right podcast name, then it was the same thing with the first episode where it feels like something that I've waited for for so long. And you go, what the heck am I supposed to talk about on my very first episode? It's supposed to be a hook. It's supposed to capture people. It's supposed to get people to listen and want to stay and want to hang out a little while, right? <laughs> and I don't know about you, but that feels like a lot of pressure. It reminds me of you know, being in college and trying to come up with the first sentence to an essay or a breakthrough creative block or writer's block or any time in life that you're beginning something new and the question being, well, where do we begin? And so that is where I'm going to start with you all. I'm going to start with the real raw truth that I'm not totally sure where to begin. And this episode is going to be imperfectly perfect as I wander through my mind and heart and share with you what I think should be relevant on episode one. Now in the intro of the podcast, you heard all of the different things that I am and all the different things that I do. And I would like to tell you more about myself, but where I really feel I should begin is covering a few different things. One is actually chatting with you about why the heck I decided to call this podcast Heart Show. And I also want to set up the scene of where I'm sitting, where I'm literally sitting in my life, because if you can have a picture of where I'm at in my life, it'll give you a little more context, it'll give you a little more flavor, and I'm also 
very proudly Irish of Irish descent. Now I do, of course, have other parts of myself, a little bit of Croatian, a little bit of English, and a few other things. But going into my Irish descent is is the truth that the Irish love storytelling. So I think the most fitting place to begin is to tell you a little story. And that story being about where I'm physically sitting, why I'm physically sitting here, and what different things led up to me physically sitting in the exact seat I'm sitting at right now. How many times can you say sitting in a sentence? That could be another wonderful podcast name, right? (laughs) Now, to meander a little bit further, before I started this podcast, like I said, I was waiting on the perfect name. And I did a funny post on social media and I got a few suggestions based on my question to people in my life and my audience, what should I name my podcast? There's a few fun names that I think I'm going to mention here and we will, we will then go from there. The first name that I thought of, and I think this is really funny because it tells you some things about myself and my dad. The first name that I thought of was Get Ahead with Headley. Why do I like Get Ahead with Headley? One, it's a pretty funny innuendo, and it does have some level of hinting at something inappropriate, which kind of makes me laugh. Why does that make me laugh? Because in fifth grade, when I was, let's see, 11, I think you're 11 in fifth grade, I ran for fifth grade representative of my class. And what was my slogan? Thanks to my dad, he told me to write on my poster, get ahead with Headley. Innocent as ever. (laughs) And I had no idea that that was any sort of innuendo. But I guarantee you some of the teachers laughed at my slogan. Did I win fifth grade rep? No, I didn't. And that could be a whole story about loss and failure and recovery and all of the things that happen when you don't win what you want to win. I do believe I won a seat on the class government. (laughs) And then I believe that I really hated it. If I go back into my memory, I don't think I liked being in the role that I ended up being in. And it turns out that any time in life that I think I have the energy to be a part of some governing body, it turns out I actually don't like it. Because in many ways, I'm just not a rule follower. And uh, I admire very much the people that do those things. But here we are meandering away. So one of the podcast options was Get Ahead with Headley, which would make sense if we're talking about just getting ahead in life and also just my sense of humor. Now, I mentioned in the intro that I want to be a stand-up comedian. This is something that, depending on who you are in your life, you may think I'm funny or you may not. And uh, I think I have one too many dreams going right now that stand-up comedy is not the path I'm going to take, but I do like that doing a podcast gives me a chance to try out some humor. Furthermore, when I was a college professor, I thought that was also a wonderful place to try out humor and see if you could get some laughs. And let me tell you that art students can be a very tough audience. (laughs) I definitely got some pity laughs. I got some real laughs, but um, it... It told me that I needed to continue working on my material, and I, and I do, and I still need to continue working on my material. So there I did, there I was making a post on social media and asking people for their opinions of what my podcast should be named. I didn't tell my dad that that was an option for me, and he commented, get ahead with Headley, 
And it just made me laugh and a little nod to my dad because my dad taught me so much about having a dry humor. And uh, it's just not for everybody. (laughs) But it's definitely for me. Another name was, uh, oh shoot, I don't have them in front of me. So the thing is, I may have to share a different podcast name on each episode based on what people suggested. My good friend Devin suggested Beagles, Needles, and... I forget what the other thing she mentioned. And why is that important? Well, if you know me, you know that my dog, Bet the Beagle, she passed away in December. And uh, I guarantee you I will do a podcast talking about what that's been like for me to go through the grief and the healing process of losing my dog who died peacefully and naturally on the ranch where I live, which was everything I could have asked for. She was 15 years old, and she lived a very beautiful life. And, uh, you know, today I'm feeling quite positive, so I'm not going to dig too deep into the grief of my little beagle. But um, she's a very important part of my life, and she continues to be. And I, uh, I did partly imagine bringing her into the podcast name just to honor her life, but I couldn't find a way. So that was another option. Thank you, Devin, for that. There were other suggestions, and I'm going to hold off until my next episode to tell you about them. But all of this to say, what's in a name? (laughs) And why do we name things? And now that I meandered off, I cannot remember what I was saying before I meandered. But I did tell you that I'm going to talk to you about the name of the show. And I'm also going to talk to you from a point of storytelling. I think that the best place to begin with this story that I'm about to get into is talking about how important it is to listen to that inner voice and to follow the inner call. And what I've learned in my own life is I have a pretty strong inner call. And there are times that I listen better to it and times that I don't listen as well to it. Sometimes maybe I don't listen as well because I ask for opinions or I I look for different pieces of advice from people I respect and admire. And there are a lot of reasons why we may not totally follow the call or not follow the call in the exact moment. And I have learned through my life that one, things do always work out, even if sometimes we drift a little bit from the exact call. But I've also learned that when we take the leaps of faith and totally 100% obey that intuitive, um, physical, internal, you could almost say embodied knowing, that type of knowing that you can't always find words for, (laughs) ironically trying to find words for while doing a podcast with words, but it's, we all have it. We all have the call. And sometimes we feel a little lost. Sometimes we may feel like, that call is hard to find, or maybe we feel challenged by sadness or grief or just a challenge in life that might be happening and we can't really tune into or tap into what that call is and we get a little bit lost. But why I'm saying this is getting back to the story of why I'm sitting exactly where I'm sitting and how important it is to actually listen to that inner voice And look for the signs because every single day there are signs guiding us in different directions. There are signs that we pay attention to. There are signs that we don't pay attention to. And what I'm learning more and more in life is to not second guess the signs. 
sometimes we we've learned so much in our society to follow a very linear plan or you know explain things to death that we can't just trust that inner pull inner call whatever word you want to use about the inner thing I'm talking about and it's very easy to mistrust the signs that we see let's say you're driving somewhere and you get an intuitive feeling about some word that you saw on the road and I do a lot of road trips so this happens to me a lot I often do road trips where I don't know exactly where I'm going to stop or exactly where I'm going to stay. And I will say that a road trip is one of the best places to actually tune into that inner call, especially if you're going with kind of an open-ended destination. Because sometimes I'll get a feeling that just goes like, ooh, that doesn't feel good. I don't want to turn right there or I don't want to stay in this town tonight. I'd rather stay in this other place. And I do my best to listen to that because I do believe that our intuitions are there for a reason and our our signs are there for a reason. But we've also been trained to not trust the signs, to question them or to think, oh, that's not logical. I, I can't follow that sign or, oh, that was just something silly. You know, one of the things that has taught me even more thoroughly how to pay attention to signs is actually losing my sweet little uh, beagle, my dog, my companion, Because I was listening to someone talk about grief. Uh, It was someone talking about pet grief. And she mentioned the different ways that our pets will visit us after they've physically passed. One of the ways she mentioned was that the person's, or the person, (laughs) well, a dog is almost a person. But the dog's name will show up in different ways. And recently I was, yes, that's exactly how it happened. I had to recall it for a moment. So my dog's name was Bet. I didn't name her that, but she was named after that, after Bet Midler from the shelter that she was at where I found her because she had a beautiful singing voice, my dog. She sang all the time. She bayed like a hound. She was a hound, so she bayed as a hound. And everyone could recognize her voice. It was, in my opinion, the best voice of all time. Funny thing, I don't really have a connection to Bette Midler. <laughs> now, I'm not going to say she doesn't have some very powerful songs, but I don't have like a, a strong connection to Bette Midler. But in the last 10 years, so I had my dog from when she was age 5 to 15. I have talked about Bette Midler probably more than I ever thought I would talk about her in my entire life. Because every time people would say, oh, what's your dog's name? I'd say Bet, like Bet Midler. And they go, Oh, I love Bet. And I just I thought it was pretty funny how people assumed that I just had this strong affection for Bet Midler. <laughs> and anyway, the point of that is what I learned was that your animal that has passed, and even sometimes your animal that's still with you physically, wants you to think of them and will send these different signs. And one of the signs is that they will their name will show up. So I've seen different times where even the word B-E-T, like, I bet you don't care, or I bet you will win this or something. Even that word, I look at it and I go, oh my gosh, she's saying hello. And what does the other part of my brain do? The other part of my brain says, no, that can't be, no way, of course not. And the part of my brain that is that inner thing I'm talking about, that inner pull, that inner trust says, absolutely, she's saying hello. And what I'm working on in my life, and I hope to inspire others too, is to more often listen to and trust and pay attention to that part of you that the logical side may try to justify away as not something that can happen. And actually just jump in and 
believe it, follow it. So I did have a time recently where Bette Midler showed up on TV and my friend and I, it was when I was actually in Florida for a medical school intensive and I had a roommate at the time for a month and my wonderful friend Emily and Bette Midler came on the TV. Somehow, to be honest, I don't even remember the context, but we were just reveling in the fact that little Bette was saying hello. So why I say that is to talk about really following that inner guidance. And this jumps a bit into my story of why I'm sitting where I'm sitting right now. So why is following that inner call important? And what are we going to cover in this story? Let's get into what I have been alluding to since the first moment I started talking and tell you where I'm sitting and then we will backtrack from there. So I am sitting on this cozy little chair that has a very Southwest vibe on and I'm sitting inside of my art studio looking out my window and looking at a horse that is actually eating dinner right now. So I am in an adobe home on a horse rescue ranch. Whenever I tell people that, they go, oh my gosh, like, how did you end up there? So this is a perfect place to start and tell you how I ended up here. To tell you how I ended up on a horse rescue ranch, which I also like to call the healing horse ranch. Let me tell you a little bit about the ranch. This ranch, I am lucky enough to be renting. There are a couple houses on this property here, and I am renting with my partner. He and I live here together. And this ranch rescues retired racehorses and takes wonderful care of them, kind of rehabs them, lets them know that it's safe here, and you can watch the transformation. I've lived here a little over a year and a half now, and it's very beautiful to see what it's like when a horse first shows up and what it, how it very quickly begins to open up and heal and just totally shine its personality. Right now, I think there are about 12 horses here. There's been as many as 15, sometimes less. And basically, the horses are rescued. They are from different situations, not always, not always the same type of situation, but basically, they need a better situation. And so they come live here, and then they can be adopted from this property. And when I say they are my neighbors, I mean that both as a pun, that they are my neighbors, but I also mean that they're literally right out my window. Um, I don't know how to measure this in feet or yards, but there's my car, and then past my car is the first horse. That first horse is actually named Zephyr, and it's a very sweet horse. I visit it almost every day in the morning. And the wonderful thing about this horse ranch is I can take walks and visit just the sweetest horses. Some of them are super funny. Some of them are are very sweet. They just all have their own personalities and they remind me every day to stay grounded and connected to nature. And when we are grounded and connected to nature, so much of our life flows better. So that is a little bit about the horse ranch. And But how did I ever find a home to rent on a horse ranch? I want to tell you a story going further back. So it was in 2018, and I was back living in Portland. Uh, I'm not from Portland, Oregon. I am from Southern California. But I did spend a good majority of my uh, 
college years and 20s and early 30s. I'm now 33, so basically up until age 32, I lived in the Northwest from about 18 to 32. I lived in the Pacific Northwest, all over Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. And I had, <coughs> sorry, I had been studying uh, all different things. I studied art and philosophy in college. I then did my master's in fine arts in Washington, Washington State University, go Cougs, where I continued working with all of the same concepts. I continued working with different understandings of the self and different understandings of healing. And what I'll say is that the com- the combination of art and healing has been that common thread. If I go into what is that inner pull, these are the two things that have pulled me, honestly, since I was a little kid. And they've had different looks. They've had different facades or different ways of appearing in life or manifesting in life. But, and that partly alludes to the name Heart Show because both art and heart are related to health and creativity in the way that I see them. So I was back living in Portland and I was actually studying Chinese medicine. While I was there, I lived in, I lived partly for about three years in a high-rise loft type situation. Honestly, it was quite, quite an ideal situation. I, I loved it. I felt like I was living in another country or in Europe. I had a little balcony. I had big, tall ceilings where I could paint just the biggest paintings. And I love to paint large paintings. I, I do a range of work. And right now in my studio, I'm staring at some smaller pieces, linen pieces, but I also like, basically I paint as big as my wall is. So I will paint, if I had a warehouse, I would make a piece as big as a warehouse. If I have a smaller room, I paint as big as the ceiling in the small room. But this was just an ideal, ideal art studio that was also my home. So it was a live work, live work situation. And I truly loved that space. I could walk to the art store. I could walk across the street to get gelato and coffee, which I surprisingly didn't do as often as you'd think. (laughs) I could actually see the gelato store from outside my window. And I, I had good self-control. You know, sometimes I almost just forgot it was there, but then I would remember it was there and I would treat myself to gelato. I would order takeout. I would order the most delicious. It was an Italian place. So I would order the most delicious breakfast and dinner. I'm getting carried away because it's dinner time and I'm quite hungry. But I was living in the city. And if I tell you who I really am, I am really someone that needs nature. And prior to living in the city, I lived in Idaho in eastern Washington, the border of those two. I lived in both eastern Washington and Idaho. And these are two small or two college towns with big colleges, but the towns themselves are quite small. And nature is just all around, and it's a quite peaceful life. I loved living out there. It actually took me quite some time when I moved back into Portland to adjust to a life that was a little more hectic. But once I found the loft, I was very happy, I, you know, because I could walk everywhere. And I think if you're not living in the country, the perk of living in the city, there's always pros and cons. The, the perk of living in the city is that if you plan it right, if you plan your place right, you can actually have a truly walking life. And to me, I think the artist in me, that feels very romantic. It feels like you're in Europe, feels like you're in Paris, or even New York City. You know, just that sense of being able to walk everywhere. Like I said, I could walk to the art store, I could walk to the park, I could walk to the grocery store. And Bet the Beagle and I just walked everywhere. But 
but <laughs> I also craved nature. And with the intensity of the medical program I was in, I occasionally just needed to hit the road and drive. So on one of these drives, I am pretty sure it was in February of 2018. I might be wrong. It may have been 2019, but I'm almost, almost uh, positive that it was February 2018. I was driving from a trip to eastern Washington. The thing about eastern and western Washington and Oregon is that the west of both states is extremely lush, extremely like you'd expect, you know, just the northwest to be rainy, but beautiful trees, beautiful landscape, so many trees. I mean, it's just green, 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 and a lot of water everywhere, and the ocean, of course, on the west-west. And But then you get to the east, and there's this feeling of something else. It's like you cross over, you cross through the Cascades, you cross through the mountains, and you get to a much drier situation. And I have to stop right there and say, the horse outside my window is running. I think it's very happy that it just had its dinner and it has a little pep to its step and it's very cute. Zephyr the horse. So eastern and western Washington and eastern and western Oregon, sorry, both places, central and east, you cross over into just a very different land, a very different energy. And I had lived in eastern Washington, like I mentioned, prior to moving back to Portland. And so I was on a trip visiting some friends there. I have some very dear friends scattered all through Washington and Oregon and the east and also the west. <laughs> the northwest is definitely where my friend family, most of my friend family exists and lives. And I was driving back through Yakima Nation's Indian Reservation. Yakima Nation's is in central Washington just beautiful mountains, beautiful landscape, something that is sometimes, I almost want to say understated because what happens in the Northwest is people come to see the lush green uh, Western side of the two states of Oregon and Washington and don't always appreciate what's happening in the center or the East. But I had started to really crave that type of landscape. I wouldn't quite call it desert. I need to talk to an actual you know, scientist about what it's actually called. It's not quite desert, but it is drier. It is on the other side of the mountains, and it has a very different energy. I think some people call a more deserty environment almost eerie, but there's something more vacant, something more empty, something more that keeps you quickly more in touch with yourself because there's not so much busyness happening around you. And so there I was driving through the beautiful Yakima Nation's mountains to get back to Portland. And I saw for the first time in my life, wild horses leaping through the mountains. This was breathtaking. And I was traveling with my little dog. She was always my sidekick there. But when I saw these horses, I immediately started weeping. It took my breath away. It was like seeing angels. And I don't even know how to describe it except I'm trying to right now. But it was one of those powerful moments with nature where I was truly taken aback and felt like something within me transformed. I don't know if you've ever been to a place in nature that actually makes your heart kind of buzz or vibrate. 
This has happened to me in a few different places. One of the places is Taos, New Mexico. Of course, people say that about Sedona, another beautiful place that many people report, you know, has that type of energy. There's actually an island in uh, Scotland, Iona, that also is claimed to have that energy. Sometimes people will say, you know, when you're looking at different cultures and the way they talk about these types of places is they'll call them spiritually thin places. And we're all going to have different places, you know, where that is for us. And I do think that there are also some collective places such as the Sedona or the island I mentioned in Scotland or Taos, New Mexico. There's certain places that are collectively known as these. And where it's where you feel like the veil between heaven and earth is is just kind of lifted and there's a connection like everything is synchronistic there's a power you don't quite feel like you're in your body but you're totally in your body at the same time and then we we all have our own places where this exists so for me there are certain places while I'm on road trips that I tap into and I experience what feels like a thin place when I saw those wild horses this was exactly that type of moment and I felt like it impacted me for a long time after and is still guiding me to this day. And that was about four years ago. Those wild horses and the Yakima, Yakima nations were just profound. And I kept driving and I passed more. And what I can say is in the years that followed, while I was in Portland for a couple more years, There were a lot of very intense challenges that came across my life on a kind of mental mental health level. Really, really deep challenges that I had to work through. A lot got churned up. Very often when people are in grad programs, they say you get a lot of things that churn up. And here I was in my second graduate program, the first one being an art program. An art program is like, oh my gosh, if you don't cry during an art, during an art graduate program you may not be in an art graduate program (laughs) so that situation completely completely changed my life the art graduate program and was something that I that turned up a bit like I said and I needed to heal through at the same time I have many wonderful thing things to say about my art grad program at Washington State University But you do go into those types of programs seeking some sort of transformation as an artist, as a creator, as a person. So I went through that program. And then following that, I went through a Chinese medical program studying acupuncture, herbs, and all of these things. And in 2018, I believe I was uh, two and a half years into the program. And at this point, wow, they say that when you are studying healing healing you create your own healing crises through it one of it being what's called oh I forget what it's called med student syndrome there's a different name for it but it's like you're studying all these diseases and you go oh I have every one of those diseases and so there is something to that but the other part was just that it's a very intense program it's you know you're you're working with people's healing you're working with your own healing you're learning about medicine western eastern everything in between And I had a lot of trauma churn up, and it is one reason why I'm so passionate about trauma, healing. But bringing it back to this thin place and the Washington horses were that I saw these wild horses 
out of nowhere and they felt like spirits or angels that showed up and they were real. They were actually real, (laughs) but they felt like these spirits that showed up at a time that was crucial to my health and life journey. And as I went through uncovering more and more layers of my own healing in the couple years to come, the horses were something that I could think about, I could tap into, and I could tune into that image I had of seeing the horses and, and I felt okay. And I think that's what some of these places in nature are for. These spiritually thin places or these places where you feel more connected to yourself, more connected to the whole experience of life. I believe that they are there for us to make it through the tougher times and to inspire us toward brighter times. Or let's say you're already having a bright time in life, they're to inspire you even further. I read something one time that the places that we love in nature actually miss us and long for us when we aren't there. And I love that visual. I love to think about that. You know, back when I lived in Oregon, I would go to the Oregon coast all the time because as much as I love the desert, I equally love the ocean having grown up in California and just having a real pull to the ocean. And whenever I would show up to my favorite Oregon Coast town, I felt like it was giving me a big hug and saying, hello, I missed you so much. And I missed it too. And so I encourage you to think about those places for yourself in nature that give you that sense of aliveness. And it can be a a sense of aliveness that makes you weep. It can be a sense of aliveness that actually makes you long for something or feel deeply connected to yourself or deeply connected to what it is that you need to heal through or something that you're celebrating. But we all have those places in nature. And so this experience of the wild horses in Washington carried me through some pretty difficult years. Now, I'm not one to say that they were years that were only difficult. I had many, many bright spots as well in the difficult times that followed. But They were there for me in the time, uh, the wild horses, I would say, in that memory, were there for me in the times that I needed to know that I would be okay. And that, I think, is what nature is there for. This is why I say nature is my greatest teacher, my greatest healer. And it's why I am a proponent of natural remedies when it comes to all things healing and life. And it's what inspires my paintings. You know, I'm an abstract painter inspired by nature. So, It's all very interwoven for me, very interconnected. So how did that experience lead me to living on a horse ranch? There's so much more to the story that I'm not going to get into all at this moment. But I want to tell you that in 2019, I took my very first trip to Taos, New Mexico. Again, that particular story could be an entire episode in itself. So funny enough, I'm going to speed through that story and basically say that it impacted me. And I would say it was kind of a follow-up to the wild horses experience in eastern Washington. It was another one of those times, going back to the beginning of what I was saying in this episode, of listening to the inner pull. So the horses were one piece of that inner pull, something that lit my heart up and seemed to carry me through. Well, in 2019, Taos, New Mexico was another place like that, that I had a strong inner pull to go to. I did a wild road trip all the way from Oregon to Taos on a whim. I think I made the choice in about an hour, packed my car and headed off. And of course, with my beagle at my side and I drove to Taos, New Mexico. Like I said, there are so many reasons why Taos is spectacular to me. But I just want to say that what it was for me was a light that 
kept carrying me through a fairly uncertain time of life. And after my trip to Taos, I felt transformed, very similar to my experience with the wild horses in eastern Washington. So it was July of 2020, almost a little less than a year since my time in Taos, New Mexico. And I guess if I can do math right, um, two years since my time with the wild horses. And my partner and I had separately come to the decision to move to New Mexico. What I think is significant, and we'll talk a fair amount about relationships in this program, and more than likely, Chris, my partner, will be a guest on the show fairly often. But he and I are incredibly independent people, and not everyone understands our relationship as far as the amount of independence that we both like to maintain. Part of it is, you know, I was 33 when I got in the relationship. Oh, no, sorry. I was um, late 20s when I got in the relationship. He was early 40s. And we both lived quite a bit of life on our own that I think that the older you get, not that I was very old in my late 20s, but I was always an old soul. But the older that you get in a relationship, is going to be a blessing and a curse. <laughs> the blessing being that you know yourself more and I think you kind of know what you're after a little bit more and you've had these years to really become who you are or at least start that process separately from necessarily another person. Of course, he and I both had had serious relationships prior to meeting one another, but the independence piece was really there. Different then, and I... I don't say this in any sort of negative way because I so admire my good friends that are in relationships from their early 20s to this day. When you meet someone in your early 20s or even, you know, the beginning of college or even going back to your high school sweetheart, you're going to form together a lot more. I even think of my relationship with my high school sweetheart and we're just so young and we're, you're discovering things together, you're discovering life together, you are learning life together. And so those relationships, the ones that sustain into the years to come, into the 30s, you are much more dependent on one another. And again, I actually don't mean that as a judgment. I quite admire those relationships in my life, my friends that are in those types of relationships. And I think in some ways there are going to be aspects that are a lot easier for those types of relationships because you've formed together all of your concepts of so many things. Again, like the Taos story, talking about this relationship piece is another episode in and, in and of itself, and I can already think of a few guests I would like to have on who will just talk and talk to me about relationships and this kind of dependence or independence and how both can be a blessing and a curse. But getting back to my story with Chris, I think for both of us, it was very important that we came to our decision to move somewhere together but that we came to the decision on our own time. And we both had separate experiences of moments of clarity that we wanted to move from Oregon to New Mexico. And that was incredible because then by the time we, we knew that that was going to happen, we both tuned in and were able to support each other on that path. And let's get real. Moving is not easy. <laughs> And I am, and Chris knows this, I'm not saying that the relationship has been the easiest and that our 
you know, all of these things have just flowed with peace and ease and all of this. No, I think relationships are where you, you learn the most about yourself and the most challenges come up. What is that one saying that, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it, but you can be the most Zen person, you know, by yourself on a mountaintop, but can you carry that into a meeting with another person? And, and these, and I'm fascinated by love and relationships. It's been a passion of mine through my life to learn about relationships, through my studies of philosophy, through my international studies. And so all that I'm saying is I'm going to talk about the good part here. And Chris knows I love him. The good part here is we both separately in an, in our own independent ways came to this realization that we wanted to live in New Mexico. <laughs> and we'll leave it at that. So we're on a trip in July 2020 that was to be in New Mexico. We were in New Mexico exploring where we wanted to live. And it was very important to me that on this trip, we weren't just calling rental agencies or you know, looking on Craigslist and finding a place to live or this, that, and the other thing. It was very important to me that we were just present in New Mexico, feeling into the land of enchantment, as it's known. We traveled to Taos, we traveled to Los Alamos, we traveled to Santa Fe, Albuquerque, all of these places in more northern New Mexico to feel out where we wanted to be. Now, you know, based on the brief snippet of the story, that I absolutely love Taos, New Mexico, so a big part of me wanted to be there. But we were just following the call, following that inner pull, like I mentioned earlier, and kind of following based on each day when we woke up on our trip in New Mexico, following where we thought we should go that day and just exploring. So one day we were exploring in the countryside of Santa Fe, so Santa Fe County, out in the country. We were just driving around. We weren't looking for a house or anything. We were driving around and without disclosing the exact location for the sake of privacy, I will just say that we stopped at these beautiful red rocks. That could be pretty much anywhere around Santa Fe, so we're good there. But we stopped at these beautiful red rocks and we pulled out, we pulled over into a pull out with our car, stood by those rocks. And I remember Chris distinctly saying, wouldn't it be nice to live out here? And I might have said it too. (laughs) One of us said it. Mutually, we said this. Okay, so that night we got back to our Airbnb and I was just having a look. I wasn't looking with any pressure, but I just like happened to pull up a rental website that I never pull up. Like, I don't even know how this name came to me. It was one of those things, one of those magical things. I, I looked at this place and a house showed up as a listing And lo and behold, it was within one mile of where we stood that day looking out into the area and saying, wouldn't it be nice to live out here? (sighs) And this was wild because I had for months, not even months, I'd probably for a year, ever since I got to Taos and came back to Portland, but then was back in Portland planning my New Mexico move, I had been looking at Craigslist and housing almost every day. Never once did I see a spot or even think that I'd want to live in that area. Never once did I see a place in that area. It was on this day that we traveled to this place, stood at that red rock, looked out and said, we would like to live here. That same night, I pulled up a brand new website and a place within a mile showed up. And that place was a horse rescue ranch. And I couldn't believe what I was reading when I was reading the, you know, description of the, of the home. 
It was almost everything that I had been visioning for months, and Chris and I both. We did a lot of very intentional visioning exercises with what we wanted to find in New Mexico. Because for us, moving to New Mexico was really about the land and the place more than anything else. It was about following our inner call, following what we knew we both were ready for, this big change. And so our visioning was about finding this perfectly, this perfect magical home to live in. And I, I want to do, an, I keep saying this, but I will do an episode on tips around visioning and visioning exercises to really work on manifesting that dream of yours. And I'll probably also talk about what happens when the vision doesn't come true, <laughs> because that's also real. And sometimes life just has a whole different plan for us, even when we are very powerful vision work people. But in this case, I was on a kick in life where starting with the wild horses, then following to the Taos, New Mexico, then being in this spot a summer later, looking out over and saying, wouldn't it be nice to live here? And then this place showing up almost like magic in front of our eyes. We reached out, talked to to the landlord, and, you know, within two weeks, we had put down the deposit to move in in October. The beautiful piece about moving in in October was we actually were going to spend one month in Taos, New Mexico. So I did get to live for one month in my one of my most favorite places in the world. And luckily Taos is not too far from where I live. So we actually go up there quite a bit and have that magical experience that is Taos, New Mexico. But so here we are. So when we, before we said yes to the house, we actually had one morning left on our trip. And we drove out to the place and looked over the fence because we couldn't actually get into the house yet. We looked over the gate and we saw these horses, horses just like right near the house that we were uh, applying to rent. And I, in that moment, everything connected, all of those pieces connected all the way back to the first experience of the wild horses. And in a very spiritual, connected way, I felt that It was the horses of central Washington, the wild horses that said, you were not following this sign for no reason. And here we are showing up for you and kind of passing the baton off to these other horses who are wild in their own way. The horses out here are retired race horses. So they've got a different type of wildness. And my wonderful landlord, you know, says that they're not really to be ridden, (laughs) especially not by someone like myself who has no riding experience. But they are just wild and sweet and endearing. And I have to say, living out here on the ranch for a year and a half with the horses out my studio window and out my kitchen window, it has been transformative. (laughs) It has been life-changing, and it is an experience that I know has a, you know, a ticking time to it. I shouldn't say ticking time bomb, but you can't rent a place forever, right? So I cherish cherish every single day here, knowing that it's going to be, it's going to go down in history as one of the coolest, most unique, wonderful seasons of my life. It's also the first house that my partner and I have really lived in together and built our life in together, and... It's got a beautiful fireplace, just a true New Mexico adobe fireplace. It's got open spaces. It's where my dog passed away, so there's that magic to it of just her memory and where she was able to spend her last year. 
or her last year, yeah, a little bit over a year of life. And what I really want to say in wrapping this big story up is going back to where I began, going back to what is it for you? What is that inner whisper? Sometimes it's as quiet as a whisper. Sometimes when you share that whisper with someone else, it's going to get quickly kind of befuddled and quickly kind of foggy because if you share your vision sometimes too soon with another person or you share that inner call that you have it can be a very sensitive time and it may be something that's just for you or if you do share it with someone and they don't totally get it I just want you to remember that that's okay that they don't get it it's normal you know not everyone understands what is our most inner calling or inner pull or inner whisper But all that really matters is that you know it. And if it doesn't make logical sense, that's okay too. I guarantee you that if you keep tuning in and keep listening, one day you're going to look back in retrospect and say, oh my gosh, I know what that whisper was about. And here I am able to look back and see what that whisper carried me through. For example, for me, the wild horses and how they carried me through just so many phases of my life that followed in the years to come and brought me exactly where I am today, sitting in my art studio, looking at some new paintings I made, looking at some drawings of horses, looking at the horses outside my window, and seeing that by listening to something that very likely didn't make sense to the outside world if I was to explain the whole story before it all happened. Seeing that, Listening in was exactly the thing I needed to do. And trusting that voice was exactly the right thing to do. So I know I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that I would talk with you about the title, Heart Show. And I decided just based on following the path and being an example of listening to my inner pull... I decided that now is not the time to tell you, but instead to allow you to just think about what might that title mean for me on various layers, various meanings, and kind of have fun with that and let you play with that. And feel free, if you are listening to this, to message me. You can message me on social media or you can email me and tell me what you think the show is about. Tell me how you found this story. How did you find this? How did it resonate with you? I would love to hear. And I just want to thank you all for listening in to my very first episode. I found my way through. I knew I would. Started off with a little humor, jumped into some storytelling, and kind of covered all sorts of things that I'm passionate about from the heart. So thank you for tuning in. I hope you were inspired by this. I hope you're inspired to think about what it is in your life that calls you, maybe as a whisper or maybe as a loud voice. And are you listening? Are you brave enough to listen? Are you open to what those messages can hold? And trust it. Don't necessarily give in to the logical mind. The logical mind has a very valuable place in our life. I'm not discrediting the logical mind. But listen to your heart. Listen in and don't doubt it. Just jump in to your dreams I can't wait to tell you more about where this podcast is going to bring on interviewees and to just continue talking about art and health and entrepreneurship 
and everything that is involved in the life of this multi-passionate Meg. Thank you for tuning in to Heart Show. If you liked this episode, please let me know, share with a friend, and leave a five-star rating if you so choose. To learn about further ways of working with me in art, wellness, or business, you're invited to click on my website or contact me with the info in the description. Wishing you a beautiful, creative, inspired day lived straight from the heart.